What it do to everybody out there on the internet? This is Emmett Watkins Jr. back with another episode of Backlog Back Talk. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about, as you saw from the title, Coco, uh, the Pixar movie that was released a good almost two years ago now. We are in 2019, came out 2017, so yeah, came out a while ago. Um, I finally got around to seeing this one over the Christmas break with some family, and I got thoughts on it. Um, now, as you guys know, or as you might know, not sure if people know me personally, because I have my Twitter, I pitch it in there. Anyway, whether whether or not you know, Pixar is like my absolute shit. Um, Toy Story 3 is, I still consider it my favorite film of all time. Um, if I think about it more, there might be some other films in there that I love more, but that's always my go-to solid choice. Uh, Toy Story 3, favorite film of all time. Um, and so Pixar's movies, I really resonate with. I really love, uh, I love Toy Story 1, love Toy Story 2. I love Inside Out. I really love, um, and just a lot of their films just stick with me. Incredibles 1, uh, I love, it's a classic in my eyes. Um, Incredibles 2 is really good. Um, I guess the only Pixar franchise that I really don't fuck with that heavily is probably the Cars franchise. Cars was never, you know, Cars just didn't hit me um, in the same way that some of their other films did. And same thing with Up, though I do suspect that the older I get, the more uh, Up will resonate with me as I get older. Um, but that's yet to be seen. Uh, so I say all of that to say that Coco, despite me, you know, not having much, Coco is about, you know, uh, Latin American, Hispanic uh, culture. Uh, me, I don't really have much to say or much resonance with that culture. Um, me being just African American and just strictly African American, there's nothing else mixed in there. Um, I'm no Miles Morales or anything. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really have a connection to you know Asla de or de los Muertos on Dia Dia de los Muertos, so the Day of the Dead. Um, I don't have a connection to that stuff. So, you know, when Coco came out, it looked gorgeous and everyone said it was great and it made them cry and stuff. But I watched, but I was just like, okay, that looks fine. It looks good. I'll watch it sometime. And sometime ended up being many years later. Um, so finally got around to watch it. So what did I think? I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it didn't have, it didn't connect too much to, well, actually it did connect a lot to the, uh, De los Muertos, uh, Day of the Dead. I'm I, I'm trying to say it correctly, but man, I took a couple semesters of French. And, wait, no, I took a couple semesters of Spanish. And then after that, I took a couple semesters of French. And now my letters are just completely screwed up for the rest of my life. So I'm really trying to just stop and think, okay, what am I trying to say? So I'm just going to try and say Day of the Dead from now on. Um, you guys know what I'm trying to do, but I don't want to butcher it. So I'm going to stop while I'm ahead. Um, so yeah. Uh, it incorporates the culture of, you know, the Latin American culture of the Day of the Dead into the movie in a really, like, deep embedded way. Um, literally, the mythology of the film is just the mythology of uh, what the Day of the Dead is. Um, in those Spanish classes, uh, they did talk a little bit about Day of the Dead. And from what I remember, this movie is pretty accurate to that uh, mythology. Seems like I'm trying to downplay it as fantasy, but... I'm going to use mythology and hope hopefully you know you guys understand what I'm meaning by that. Um, it ties into the mythology pretty accurately. Um, and it's a very entertaining film as well. Um, I love the concept, uh, you know, kid, you know, 
wants to play music, but his family's all about shoes and his family's all about, you know, doing things that aren't music and actually ban music. Uh, his grandmother is outright, you know, like super aggressively, like no music in the house, like for, for reasons that come into play with the plot. And um, that's one thing I want to say real quick, just about the plot overall. This might be the most not because like I feel like a lot of Pixar movies have fairly simple plots. Um, and when I say fairly simple plots, you think about the plot of Incredibles. Oh, I want oh, uh, superheroes are outlawed. Um, dudes having this midlife crisis, wanting to go back out and be a superhero. Um, the family's all suffering for superhero stuff as well. And then eventually they all come together as a family, fight the big bad guy. Um, you think about cars, that's a pretty simple story of going back home, learning what your roots are, um, and, you know, kind of stopping you from being an, uh, a-hole when you're famous. Uh, even with, like something like the Toy Story movies, especially, I want to say Toy Story 1, it's literally just a story of them trying to get back home before Andy moves out. Um, pretty simple plots in a lot of Pixar movies. Um, same thing went up. They're just trying to go home and then they run into a bunch of like adventurous stuff. Um, but yeah, this movie, Coco has a very, like, there's a lot of threads going on in the plot. Um, first off, you, of course, have the thread of uh, the main character. I forget the young little kid's name now. Um, but yeah, the main character trying to uh, get the blessing of, you know, this famous musician um, to so he can go back home with the blessing of music uh, so he can, you know, play music and all. Um, and then on top of that, you have, uh, what is it? You have this whole backstory of, uh, the musician and the other musician and their interactions. I don't want to spoil the movie. So I'm trying to be a little bit vague on purpose and also vague because, oh boy, I do not remember names. Let's go ahead and bring up the IMDB so I can refer to these people, uh, correctly. But, uh, yeah, uh, it has a lot of plot threads. There's some stuff in the past that are relevant. There's some stuff in the, in the present that's relevant. And then you're still thinking about back home. Their family is still interacting in a different world entirely. Um, there's just a lot of plates that they're spinning narratively in this movie. And they hold them all up very, very well. So I really dug that. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool aspect. Um, Performance-wise, I just don't have much to say about performances. It is an animated film after all. So there's less to critique as far as, like, facial expressions and delivery and stuff. Um, vocal performances are really great. Um, I really like the one character. Let's see. All right, now that I have the... Okay, Hector. Oh, Hector. I know the actor for Hector. Uh, I could not pronounce his name, but I've seen him in things. Hector, Hector's voice actor, is... Uh, he, he's in uh, Motorcycle Diaries. I saw that movie for that Spanish class, actually. And that movie... While I'm not like, oh, man, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. That movie was really cool. It was really subtle in what it was doing. Um, and so and I know he's known as a you know pretty good actor. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really good. Um, Hector was great. Um, Benjamin Bratt. OK, I know Benjamin Bratt. Ernesto de la Cruz. Yeah, Ernesto de la Cruz. Yes, that's the you know titular um, character that the main character looks up to for most of the movie. Um, I thought his performance was great. I like, but whenever I see Benjamin Bratt in the movie, uh, he's just a familiar face, and I, I know him to be just, uh, you know, he's a good actor. Um, the movies I see him in are never, you know, oh, man, Oscar award-winning, um, craziest, biggest budget thing. I see him in a lot of, like, 
mid-tier action movies, your ride-along twos, your your national securities, your your things like that. Um, so it's good to see him in a really prestigious place like Pixar, um, picking him up. Um, and I know he's a great actor anyway, so you know it's not like I thought there was anything different. But yeah, it's good to see him here. Um, all all Hispanic or just heavily Hispanic cast in this. I'm just looking through the IMDb. This is this is good. I mean, Pixar knew what they were doing. I, I expect nothing less from Pixar. You're going to make a film about Hispanic culture. You better have some Hispanics in it. So that's really cool. Um, I like that they've kept consistent with that. Gabriel Iglesias, I recognize that name from comedy. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely did good with the cast. Um, no complaints there. Um, I really love how expressive Miguel's voice, Anthony Gonzalez. I can read that name. Goddamn. Um, Anthony Gonzalez as the main character. Uh, very expressive delivery and everything. Definitely exudes that youthfulness in his character. Uh, of course, he's a little kid himself, but you can feel just how the young, the the youth, the hope that's still in his heart. You can feel it through his voice. Um, so I think that's pretty great. Um, and the thing, the thing that really you know surprised me. I wish I saw this movie before I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because uh, I saw that movie in theaters just like a lot of other people and all of you should too. That movie, Spider-Verse, is one of the most visually impressive things I've ever seen and definitely the most vibrant film of all of all time, or at least I won't say of all time, that I've ever seen. Um, I feel like Coco probably would have been that for me if I hadn't seen Spider-Verse mere days before it. Um, I actually, maybe I saw Coco like the next day after Spider-Verse or within, you know, a 36 hour period. Coco's colors, color palette is so vibrant, so lively. The whole world that they visit in the day of, or the, I guess, dead world. I forget exactly what they call it. This whole world, land of the dead. There we go. That whole world is so beautiful from a color palette perspective, from an artistic design perspective. The, the magical creatures that they have going on, the giant colorful dragons and whatnot. Um, if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. That's not a spoiler also. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool what they did with the color palette in this movie um, and just how expressive they made everything while sticking to that aesthetic of Day of the Dead. I thought it was just beautiful, 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 beautiful. Um, it's It just shows how you know diverse Pixar is with their artistic abilities. Um, I like to see another movie similar to Coco where they take that Day of the Dead aesthetic and make an entire film out of it, make an entire world out of it. I'd like to see them carry that with other, uh, you know, historical art styles. Um, don't know exactly one off the top of my head, but I think that'd just be really cool seeing that with Coco, they definitely can pull that off. Um, so, yeah, fantastic job on that. And also, uh, speaking generally about the plot again, surprisingly dark places they go to in this in this movie. Um, they take some twists and turns that I wouldn't have necessarily expected in a children's movie. And I know, let's be real here. Everyone watches Pixar movies. They're not children's movies. But like for a Disney movie rated PG-13, in which all audiences are going to see, they take some twists in here. Like, like I always get surprised or impressed when a movie that is marketed to children, and let's be real, Coco is marketed towards children. Um, a movie like this, when it takes plot turns and has elements in its plot in which a parent would have to turn to their kid and explain what that means. So, um, like, there are some scenes in here 
that I'm like, oh man, that's that's like a big major plot revelation. And I don't think anybody under the age of 10 would fully understand that, <laughs> would fully understand what's going on in that plot revelation. Um, and if you guys know what I'm talking about, there's a big, I don't want to oversell it, but there's a fairly major twist towards the end of the movie that really completely changes the context of the whole film. And I dug that twist, by the way. Um, and I like how the ending wraps up because of that twist. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that twist only happens because of this thing that I don't think children fully understand in the way that adults do. Now, of course, children, you know, have a brief understanding of the concept, but you know, I'm sure certain younger children wouldn't understand. Um, well, I mean, it has the whole movies about, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to spoil what exactly it is, but there is a death that happens in the movie and the whole movie's about death, of course, but for most of the movie is treated in like a comical way is treated where like, oh yeah, you die, but you don't like you die, but now you're in this world. It's not like you're dying. It's like, you're just going to another place where you're, you know, with other people and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's, that's how they treat death for most of the movie. But the, the ending, or at least the big revelation that happens kind of recontextualizes death in a way that's more in a way that's more common with other films where death isn't just oh i died now i'm in the land of the dead look at all these colorful people in this fun time they can't they recontextualize death at least in the terms of the movie they recontextualize death as something that is serious as something that has negative effects as something that takes elements of your life away like they they handle that and there's some actually some sad somber moments related to you know actual death in this uh mystery land of uh the land of the dead they they talk about death in ways that i think are like oh wow i didn't expect them to incorporate that into a film like this um similar to how in toy story 3 when when they i was so surprised now i'm gonna spoil toy story 3 hopefully you've seen toy story 3 if not just don't listen for the next 30 seconds that furnace scene when they all hold hands. Okay, you can come back. Um, I thought that was so crazy because I was like, yo, they're just accepting it. And they're just going to like, this is just it. <laughs> so I was really surprised to see something like that in a Pixar movie. And now in Coco, it seems like they're evolving that even further. And just this this whole movie isn't like a commentary on death or something like that. It's not that deep. But I'm just surprised to see Pixar not only you know, have the desire to go in this direction, but to have the permission, quite frankly, from Disney to, you know, have a plot element like that in a film like this. Um, so, you know, shouts out to Pixar. They're definitely pushing the envelope. I'd love to see what Pixar could do with a PG-13 rating or maybe even an R one day in the future if we're really getting crazy. But yeah, they make good stuff in general. So I really don't have too many problems there. Um, so yeah, Coco, great film, great, great film um some good musical numbers uh now now i'm not saying this song this movie had me you know singing the songs from it often um but you know some catchy numbers in there i'm sure if i you know watch this in theaters with everyone else i'd probably have the soundtrack downloaded or something crazy um but yeah it's good it's a great ass movie the ending very very heartfelt ending and when i say the ending i mean the ending ending not when the bad guys defeated quote unquote i mean like when they get there in time that part almost had me tearing up so that was a very sweet moment um and so i just i think this movie you could tell there was a lot of care put into the film just by you know 
subject matter and i'm sure there's some hispanic staff at pixar that were probably happy to be working on this uh it's it's very much so a love letter to all the things that um whoever might have written wrote this film or you know conceived of the film it feels like a love letter to the stuff that they grew up loving the the hispanic culture the day of the dead stuff the music it seems it feels like a love letter through and through and even as somebody who isn't really part of that culture i can appreciate it for what it is um and i think it's a great piece of cinema um it's definitely up there with some of my favorite fixar movies it's uh well above cars of course um don't know what it is about cars just not a big of a cars fan i still haven't seen cars two or three so that should tell you everything you need to know um i do want to see it at some point just to give it a fair shake um well over the good dinosaur (laughs) but that's not really much of a competition um this i feel like this is in because i for me top tier of pixar is toy story 3 and inside out those are the movies that most resonated with me and those are the films that i think are their best work coco kind of rests around that incredibles monster inc category monster inc is below incredibles one but i think coco is around that Incredibles conversation as far as ranking goes. Um, Now, is it better than Incredibles? Probably not. But I do definitely think Coco is a lot more imaginative than Incredibles, has a lot more new ideas, a lot more interesting ideas. And um, I just think there's more subversions in Incredibles of previously previously established tropes than you have in Coco. Coco has some subversions of, you know, tropes, but those are a couple major ones towards the end while Incredibles is based entirely off of a subversion of previously established tropes. So, um, I think that's cool. Um, so let's not compare too much. Uh, we're already 17 minutes into this. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for rocking with me. Uh, I say that all the time. I listen to so much spawn on me. That's what they say on spawn on me. That's what I Khalif Adams says. So I need to get original and start thinking of my own catchphrase um so yeah thank you guys for chilling with me uh real quick we're gonna go ahead wow that wasn't much different uh, but just to do a little bit of housekeeping um as i said in a previous episode uh video game stuff will be on lost hero games from now on so if you want to find any of that content you're gonna want to go over to losthero.wordpress.com uh, I may or may not leave a link to that in the description, but I will definitely leave a link to my Twitter at uh, ejspun 61 You can go follow me there for updates on this podcast, on what I'm doing at Lost Hero, anything related to me pretty much. Um, so please go there, check that out. Um, and so, yeah, we're, I think we're going to stick with this bi-weekly thing. Um, I, I'm recording this early, so I don't know what's the reaction to this as far as the last episode goes. But um, hopefully this will be working out for my schedule and working out for people who do listen to this because there aren't that many of you, but people do listen to this. So uh, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you, you know, giving me a couple minutes of your day. Um, You could have done it with anything else and probably anything else is a better option. Um, But enough enough self-deprecating humor. Um, We're going to go ahead and sign off for the night. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, This has been Emmett Watkins Jr. And... We're going ghost. I like Danny Phantom. And plus it's kind of related, but they're skeletons. Nah, it's whatever. Bye-bye. Oh, no, I got to say my thing. Keep it real. Keep it true.